0: cannot cling on to it forever and this is the will of the people and
1: all of us we would not be too happy if he continues at all and he really needs to go
0: you're listening to the news on rthk
1: with
2: music news and information this is radio three
3: Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 13th of May. A warm welcome to the final money talk of the week from me, Peter Lewis. The People's Bank of China Deputy Governor Chen Yu Lu said Thursday stabilising economic growth was its top priority and it will step up support for weak sectors. He said the PBOC will strengthen cross-cyclical policy adjustment and accelerate the implementation of policy measures already announced. Sheng Lai-Yung, deputy Deputy chief of the National Bureau of Statistics, said that the coronavirus outbreak has come as a huge shock to the economy. In an interview with the official Xinhua News Agency, he said that it will only have a short-term impact on production and people's lives. He added, the effects will recede gradually with COVID control measures and other policies. And he expressed confidence that China will achieve this year's targets for economic development. China said yesterday it would strictly limit unnecessary outbound travel by its citizens as it continues with its zero Covid approach amid attempts to stamp out the Omicron outbreak in several cities across the mainland. The National Immigration Authority said in an announcement on WeChat that it also needed to prevent people bringing the virus into China. The statement called for strict implementation of entrance and exit policies. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority intervened for the second time in a day on Thursday to defend the Hong Kong dollar's peg to the greenback. The authority said it sold more than 4 billion Hong Kong dollars worth of US dollars after the local currency touched the weak side of its narrow trading band of between 7.75 and 7.85 to the greenback. The local currency declined to 7.85 per US dollar for the first time since May 2019. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and Iris Pang from IG Wholesale Banking. With a view from india it's toby lawson of society general india
0: Money
4: talk
3: on, on wall street u.s stocks staged a late day rally to end little changed the s p 500 was off 0.1 percent at 3930 by the close having been down as much as two percent earlier in the session the dow was down for the sixth straight day closing 104 points lower at 31,730, recovering from losses of over 600 points at the low of the day. The Nasdaq Composite Index rose 0.1% to 11,371. The index has fallen nearly 30% from its record high reached last November. That's the biggest drawdown since the global financial crisis. Apple lost 2.7%, pushing the shares into bear market territory and down 22% from their 52-week high. Saudi Aramco has now overtaken Apple to become the world's most valuable company. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index fell 0.7%. London's FTSE 100 tumbled 1.6%. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng ended the day down 444 points, or 2.2%, at a two-month low of 19380 weighing on sentiment were fears of capital outflows after the Hong Kong Monetary Authority intervened in the currency markets to support the Hong Kong dollar and stop it breaking below the weekend of its trading band for the first time in three years. The Hang Seng tech index slumped 3.8% on the mainland the Shanghai Composite fell 0.1% to 3055. In the commodities markets Brent crude oil is up, 100, is up to $107.81 a barrel. Gold fell to its lowest level since early February at $1,822 an ounce. And European gas prices have soared after Russia's state-owned gas supplier said it will cut shipments to Europe through the Yamal pipeline which transports Russian gas through Poland. It's the second pipeline transporting Russian gas to Europe to be closed in as many days. Futures contracts linked to the European wholesale gas price jumped about 13% on Thursday to around 106 euros per megawatt hour. That's more than quadruple the level of a year ago. The U.S. ten-year Treasury bond yield declined seven basis points to 2.86%, and some big moves in the currency markets overnight. The U.S. dollar index rose one percent to its highest level since 2002. The euro sank as much as one and a half percent to one dollar three and a half cents. That's its lowest point since 2017. The Japanese yen is at 128.5 versus the dollar. Sterling fell half a percent against the dollar to $1.22 after data showed the UK economy contracted in March. Against the local currency, it's at 9 Hong Kong dollars and 58 cents. On the mainland, the renminbi dropped 1% to 6.786 versus the dollar, and offshore yuan broke through 6.8 per US dollar for the first time since September 2020. It's trading at 6.82 and a half this morning. The cryptocurrency sell-off continued on Thursday with Bitcoin dropping below $26,000 at one stage to its lowest level in 16 months. Ether dropped below $2,000 for the first time since June 2021 and was close to $1,700 at the uh, low point over the past 24 hours. The route has wiped off more than $200 billion U.S. billion from the entire crypto market in a day. This morning, Bitcoin is trading at $29,100. And let's take a look around Asian Pacific uh, stock markets this morning. Things are stabilizing this morning. Uh, the sx 200 in Australia up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen 1% shortly after the open. Same story for the Cosby in South Korea and futures markets, uh, indicating that the Hang Seng is going to gain about 140 points at the open this morning. <laughs> It's coming up to 8.10. Let's welcome our guests on the phone from London once again. We have Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Morning, Andrew.
1: Good morning, and please, no jokes about being Friday the
3: 13th. I have nothing to do with that. We won't uh, won't say anything. It's supposed to bring bad luck, isn't it? But no, we're not going (laughs) to mention that. And in our (coughs) Queensway studio, safely tucked away over there in Queensway, is Iris Pang, Chief Greater China Economist at ING Wholesale Banking. Morning, Iris.
4: Morning Peter.
3: The People's Bank of China deputy governor Chen Yu Lu said yesterday stabilizing economic growth was its top priority. He said making uh, stabilizing growth a more prominent priority, the PBOC will strengthen cross-cyclical policy adjustments and also implement policy measures already announced. And it will actively plan new policy tools, although he didn't elaborate on what those new policy tools will be. And Sheng lai Deputy Chief of the National Bureau of Statistics, said the coronavirus outbreak has come as a huge shock to the economy. But he said it will only have a short-term impact on production and people's lives. And he said the effects will recede gradually with COVID control measures and other policies. And he expressed confidence that China will achieve this year's targets for economic development. Um, Iris, what do you think? Can President Xi Jinping crush COVID-19 without also crushing China's uh, economy?
4: Um, it is a two-phase issue. The first is that uh, COVID, um, zero COVID Policy actually damaging the economy through lockdowns and therefore supply chain disruption and also hurting retail sales. But on the other hand, it is saving lives and actually um, not dropping the population a lot, which is actually positive for the long term growth.
3: But uh, do, you, do you sort of express the same sort of confidence? Uh, that uh, Sheng Luoyang is doing, that this is only <laughs> going to be a temporary um, effect. Everything's going to, um, once everything's uh, back under to, uh, normal, these uh, policies are going to be withdrawn and uh, the, the economy is going to bounce back and it's going to reach uh, the government's economic targets.
4: Logically, it should be temporary because we don't expect COVID to be here forever. But how long this temporary um, lockdown or or damaging hits on the economy will last is very uncertain and we are now um lowering our gdp forecast and also production forecast for this year
3: what what are you lowering it to
4: um it is now it is now around 4.2% for uh gdp and for production, it could be nearly um, like 3% year on year.
3: Andrew, what what do you think? The, the government's fighting two battles here, isn't it? Trying to simultaneously contain COVID and prevent the deterioration of the economy. Who's going to win? What's going to win?
1: Um, I'm, I'm sounding like a stack record. And uh, this might sound as if it is a critique of uh what the government is trying to do in China with a zero COVID, but effectively it isn't. It's a very simple question. Uh, let's assume that all this works, and in fact in X months or the next weeks, we have zero COVID in China, or it is really under strict control. Then what happens next? You begin to lift the constraints, first the domestic ones, and then the external ones. The moment you lift the external ones, unless you have an unbelievably strict system of both quarantine and limitations of travel, China is a relatively large uh, island in the middle of a colossal ocean of COVID. Every single other country has dropped the defense Mm. and they let it rip. So I just can't see how they are going to maintain a domestic COVID zero when externally, over which they have no control, there is no zero policy.
3: Well, they say. I have no idea. The way they say they're going to do that is they're going to strictly limit unnecessary outbound travel by its citizens, and what's more, it's going to to strengthen, um, you know, the inbound policies as well. So it seems to be saying that they're going to cut themselves off from the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, it has to to follow like that, and uh, I hope we are not neither misreading nor misconstruing what they are saying. But on the other hand, this is what they are saying. Also, I'm always very concerned uh, when uh, a strictly medical issue becomes a political issue. Uh, you know, it, it, it is not a matter of disobeying the party of being unloyal to China or misreading all the efforts and the fantastic work they have done so far. In trying to control it by simply saying that this policy cannot be criticized mm-hmm. and hence the reaction in fact with the after all is only the chairman of the world health organization that uh, cast an aspersion or cast, cast a out you know it seems to me as if they are painting themselves continuously into a corner and that's uh, that, that's bad for china uh, it's bad for the policies and the politics and, of course, uh, it continues to be terrible for the markets. And remember, Peter, we are not passing any judgment. We are simply repeating what they are saying, not we are saying. We're not saying this is not going to work. Uh, the GDP is going to grow negatively. We are saying, good, They expect zero COVID, good. And once they expect zero COVID, what happens? We will cut off ourselves completely from outside to make quite sure that uh, infection doesn't enter. Wow.
3: Iris, do you worry that... Uh, maybe they're going to cut themselves off from the rest of the world. Talking about strictly limiting any outbound travel by its citizens, it's almost uh, trying to make China an island, isn't it? Isn't that going to have also an impact um, on the economy?
4: Um, Yes and no, I think. um, The first thing is that this restrictive outbound travel, I think, is really um, temporary for... um, to to wait and see the COVID situation in Beijing and Shanghai. Um, And for now, um, or before the Western side of the world that announced no COVID measure, um, they actually also has COVID measures and we are getting used to using video conferencing, online shopping. So is it really, really damaging like the pre-COVID world that the way we work, the way we consume is not? So the damage, I think, should be discounted on this um, perspective.
3: But these temporary measures have a habit of becoming rather long-lasting. I mean, look at what's happened to Shanghai. Initially, the lockdown uh, was, was only going to be, what, eight days, and it was going to be done in two halves. Shanghai has now been in lockdown for over five weeks.
4: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're right. But what Shanghai did wrongly is that it locked down too late. Compared to Sun Zheng, also had the lockdown, if you remember. The lockdown lasts only for a week because it started testing very, very early. So the, they, they can really stop the infection chain. Beijing is trying to do the same as the Shenzhen, and Guangdong also repeats what Shenzhen has done. So Shanghai is now uh, the 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 lonely baby, I would say, that um, that is now struggling to get out of COVID. But um, if they do more testing, they will finally stop the infection chain. But as I've said, we don't know when. And this uncertainty makes the market worries.
3: Mm. Andrew, a lot of talk about new policies, about implementing existing policies, but not a lot of action so far, is there? What what can the the authorities actually do rather than just talk about...
1: We'll, we'll split it up in two parts. They have definitely loosened monetary policy. Again, we started with December, Remember last December, when uh, then uh, uh, on three more occasions when reserve uh, requirements were cut, and then interest rates were also cut twice. So they are relaxing monetary policy as we talk. So that's one part. The second part is this implementation of uh, infrastructure investment, of which there was a great degree of talk Also, of ensuring that banks provided ample liquidity in small in SME firms, okay, of which there was a great degree of talk. But again, the whole issue is: is what they are going to build more airports, more railway stations, and uh, more schools and hospitals, which is which is very good. But this
3: and more debts to go with it, and more more debts.
1: But this. also, this impacts directly the construction business. Mm. Okay. I mean, this, this is not going to do anything in particular, let's say, for, for uh, I don't know, uh, the equivalent of McDonald's or mm. the equivalent of Starbucks in China. Okay.
3: How, how, I, d- I don't get, though, how all these stimulus measures are going to work when large firms can't operate normally because most of their suppliers are under lockdown. The stimulus doesn't, just doesn't work, does it, if factories can't return to normal?
1: Yeah, there seems to be a cognitive dissonance, as uh, an American psychologist would have put it, between what we say we're going to do and the way we're going to implement it, if in fact the lockdowns are not quickly and, uh, let's say, consistently eliminated. Yeah, you raised, you raised a very good point. I, I'm not unhappy uh, about the monetary policy. Uh, what I am puzzled is, is about the fiscal policy. Look, China has got uh, a fiscal deficit, which is about 7% of GDP, and they can easily double it for a very simple reason. China is a net, net, I'll say that slowly, it's a net, large, global lender. Okay, mm. lenders don't get in problems, lenders don't go bankrupt, it is borrowers that do. And also, all of it is funded domestically, so they can raise a lot more domestically. And you say, ah, yeah, and then they will be like the Fed, well... We are entering into a more awkward situation, but at least the Fed raised a lot of money, and they simply bought financial assets. Hmm. Presumably, the Chinese will raise a lot of money, and they will uh, buy more bridges uh, and hospitals and schools, which is which is a, a hugely different uh, proposition. So the answer is, is yes, there is a great deal that can be done. Okay, because we don't see it being done somehow.
3: Okay. Iris, let me ask you about the weak renminbi. On the mainland, the renminbi dropped 1% to 6.786 versus the dollar. Offshore yuan has broken through 6.8 against the US dollar for the first time since September 2020. Um, Are Beijing authorities deliberately letting the currency weaken, do you think, to try and uh, stimulate demand for exports?
4: It's not the case. Actually, the uh, weakening of the yuan, um follows the strong dollar. If we plot the two uh, lines, dollar CNY and the dollar index on one graph, you'll see that after a very brief um, safe haven nature of the yuan from uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict, Um, the domestic COVID issue brings the yuan uh, back in line to the dollar index. So as long as the Fed is going to hike again and again, and the PBOC is going to do some kind of easing, then this kind of um, depreciation pressure on the yuan will continue.
3: And what about the Hong Kong dollar? the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, buying Hong Kong dollars now for the first time in three years to keep it above the bottom end of uh, the trading band. Obviously, that is how the peg is supposed to work, of course, but it's going to put further pressure on interest rates, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it is uh, going to put pressure on interest rate, but this pressure, whether whether it will be realized into actual higher interest rate, is a very big question mark because of the weak domestic economy. Banks are also very uh, competitive and they are not easily raising interest rate because they, mm. their, their, their borrowers may choose other banks. So we may need to wait for another quarter to see a rise in the high rate.
3: Andrew, what, what do you make of this intervention? We spoke last week about uh, the, the peg. Obviously, this is how the peg is supposed to work. But nevertheless, markets, well, people in markets were nervous yesterday um, about potentially money leaving Hong Kong, um, because that's obviously important for, for liquidity in stocks. What do you make of this?
1: Well, actually, if, if, if the Hong Kong dollar is, is weak, money is leaving in inverted commas, whether it physically leaves Hong Kong or it simply switches into US dollar, it's a moot point. Okay. Also, I would beg to differ that a currency is weak because another currency is strong. Because equally, I could reverse that and I tell you the reason why the US dollar is strong is because the URN is weak, mm. as opposed to saying the URN is, is weak because it is the US dollar is strong. Actually, the URN is weak and the Hong Kong dollar is weak is because the two central banks are pursuing effectively, in the case of Hong Kong, the pegged system, in the case, of uh, China's uh, looser monetary policy. Remember, China right now has got a completely different monetary policy than Hong Kong. It is cutting interest rates, it is increasing reserve requirements at the time that Hong Kong is increasing interest rates. Okay, so the the two things are very asymmetrical. And this is an extra reason why the nonsense of the Hong Kong dollar being and peg. this will only happen when the renminbi is fully capital convertible. I mean, I will I'll stick my neck out, okay. and my last uh, breathing words will be just that.
3: <laughs> okay. Uh, Iris, very, very quickly, because we're running out of time, I just want to ask you, Hong Kong GDP, down 4% in the first quarter. Are we going to see a contraction in the second quarter as well, and a recession?
4: Yeah, very likely. Um, As I know, the situation, the job market situation and the retail situation is very dire.
3: Okay, thank you both very much. That's Iris Pang, Chief Greater China Economist at ING Wholesale Banking. Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On the phone now from Mumbai, India, is Toby Lawson, CEO of the City General India. Morning, Toby. Hey,
2: good morning, Peter.
3: So, talking about currencies, the Indian rupee that's that's hit a new low as well uh, against the US dollar this week. Inflation has surged uh, to an eight-year high. Um, it, are the authorities there getting worried?
2: Well, uh, yes, I would suspect that uh, they preempted that last week when you know the RBI moved on rates uh, intra-meeting. So it was a shock uh, move of 40 basis points on the repo. So they were obviously aware that this was going to be a high figure. Eight-year high, as you mentioned, 7.79% on retail inflation. And even if you take out fuel and food, which are two large components, it's still running close to 7%. Uh, You mentioned the rupee. Yeah, even with the RBI defending the rupee, it's at record lows. So, yeah, uh, certainly uh, would expect that uh, the market will be uh, seeing RBI likely to move again. June uh, and possibly uh, July next couple of meetings.
3: And it's having an impact on stocks as well isn't it it's because uh, the the stock markets uh keeps on uh, moving down almost daily at the moment.
2: Yeah they lost uh, another 2% yesterday and uh you know it's it's not inconsistent with what you're seeing around the world uh, particularly in the US stocks so if you look at US stocks we're sort of a couple of percent away on the S&P for a technical bear market um you know, you in in India you are you're getting a lot of FDI, so a lot of foreign money flowing out, which is not only expected given the moves in um, currencies and the moves in rates, but uh, even with retail investment being quite strong to replace part of that, uh, equity markets are still weaker. I guess on a relative basis, they're not as weak uh, as they are in the US, for example, but they are still definitely heading towards that technical bear area.
3: And, and central bankers seem to be slowly losing confidence, I, I detect, in their ability to engineer a soft landing. We had the Bank of England last week basically say the economy, UK economy was going to be in recession by the fourth quarter. Overnight, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell was saying that getting inflation under control uh, won't be easy. Uh, he said a soft landing is really just getting back to 2% inflation. Well, we're a long way um, from that. Do you get the same sense that maybe... Um, uh, central bankers are starting to get worried about their 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 ability to engineer soft landings around the world
2: well i think they've completely uh, underestimated uh, inflation and how quickly it's taken off but again a lot of it out of their control let's be honest you've had the covid pandemic you had you know then the additional ukraine um crisis so supply chains already disrupted and got further disrupted so to some extent um and they're accountable, but not driving the inflation story. So, yes, they're behind the curve, and hence I need to be more aggressive. I think in Powell's comments, um, really the aim is to try to tighten quickly to get inflation down without destroying the economy or at least uh, making a recession, and that's really as reflected in trying to keep the labour market strong. At the moment, the labour market's strong in the US, so, um, you know, uh, despite the, the higher inflation, despite the hikes coming, uh, the outlook in the U.S. is still pretty strong, but um, it'll be difficult for them and for other central banks to throttle the economy sufficiently to get prices down.
3: Oh, and wherever we look, when we see the data, um, inflation just doesn't seem to be coming down at the moment, does it? Even even in the U.S., although it eased uh, slightly, um, it's, still, um, it's still at very high levels.
2: At best, it might be peaking uh, based on the CPI data you saw this week, but uh, yes, it will remain inflated. Um, and the problem with inflation, as we've always said, I think previously in discussions, is once it's embedded in expectation, it's hard to it's hard to get down uh, because, um, you know, nature would suggest that people will move to, uh, to reprice uh, inputs and outputs uh, to a higher, higher, higher inflation expectation. So it sort of locks itself in. So it becomes very challenging to control. And that's what we're seeing right now.
3: And what do you make of stocks, U.S. stocks? Um seem to be sort of almost hovering over the edge of the precipice. The Nasdaq's down now 30% uh, from its record high. That's the biggest drawdown since the global financial crisis. What's going wrong?
2: Well, I think you know, you've got to look at where where prices moved from 2020 with all the stimulus uh, that came in. So you've got to look at sometimes these moves on relative basis to how much the market's taking out from all of the over-stimulus that probably occurred through the pandemic years and, uh, you know, repricing equities accordingly with a higher interest rate uh, trajectory. You know, the technical bear market is 20%, so S&P's at 18. It's, it's possibly likely that we'll see through that. Um, so we haven't quite seen the full capitulation that you often see in these type of situations the market is heavily down but again if you look at over the last two to three year period it's really just taking out some of the i guess the hot money or at least the hotter money that came from all the uh, stimulus that was put in through the pandemic so in some ways it's not an unreasonable adjustment um but it never looks good when it's uh, in those type of percentage moves
3: okay toby thank you very much have a great weekend that's toby lawson ceo of society general india you're listening to money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Markets around the Asia-Pacific region are rebounding on the final day of trading for this week. The ASX200 in Australia up um, around 1.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is rallying further. It's up 1.6% at the moment. The Cosby in South Korea uh, up 1.2%. And futures markets pointing to a gain of 150 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Do have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning for Money Talk. Stay tuned for the COVID update with Janice Wong and Andrew Work after the news. The weather forecast, cloudy to overcast, occasionally heavy showers and squally thunderstorms. The maximum temperature is going to be about 27 degrees during the day. and There will still be occasional heavy showers over the weekend. Showers release off gradually and temperatures will fall to around 19 degrees on Monday. This morning we have a thunderstorm warning in force and also a landslip warning. Temperature right now is 25 degrees and it's 94% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Sharofsky with the news.
0: Thank you, Peter. Classes are suspended today for all a.m. schools and whole day schools. After the observatory issued the red rainstorm warning at 425 this morning, the signal was downgraded to amber at 705 a.m. Schools should arrange for staff to look after students who do arrive and ensure that conditions are safe before allowing students to return home. Sources say a fifth trustee of the 612 Humanitarian Relief Fund, Sid Ho, has been arrested by National Security Police. The former lawmaker is already in jail for her role in a banned protest. Meanwhile, the foreign ministry has defended the arrest of four other trustees on suspicion of colluding with foreign forces. Todd Harding has more details. The Office of the Foreign Ministry's Commissioner
1: in Hong Kong
0: expressed strong dissatisfaction with criticism of the previous day's arrests. It said the U.S. State Department and Congress, as well as politicians, including foreign policy chiefs in the EU and Canada, had made baseless accusations against Hong Kong police, who had taken appropriate action. It's understood the four arrested were Cardinal Joseph Zen, singer Denise Ho, former lawmaker and barrister Margaret Ng, and academic Hoi All were released on bail pending further investigation. The United Nations Human Rights Council has voted overwhelmingly in favor of launching an inquiry into alleged war crimes by Russian troops at the start of the conflict in Ukraine. The UN Human Rights Chief, Michel Bachelet, said a thousand bodies had been recovered in areas that had been occupied by Russian forces. The scale of
4: unlawful killings, including indicia of summary executions in areas to the north of Kiev, is shocking. These killings of civilians often appear to be intentional, carried out by snipers and soldiers. Civilians were killed when crossing the road or leaving their shelters to seek food and water. Unarmed local men were killed because Russian soldiers suspected them of supporting Ukrainian forces or otherwise being a potential threat. And some were tortured before being killed.
0: Astronomers have taken the first ever picture of the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Its existence has long been accepted by most scientists, but the image released by an international team is the first conclusive proof. The photograph shows a dark disk many times larger than our sun, with a ring of white-orange light around it. Dr. Imogen Witten, an astrophysicist at Oxford University, explained its significance
4: this image matches almost exactly to what's predicted by Einstein's theory of general relativity. So the first thing this tells us is this is more evidence that Einstein was right. In terms of the big picture, this will hopefully